Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Spotify. Did you know that you can listen to The Watch and other pods from the Ringer fam on Spotify? Yes. The streaming service that you know and love for music is also fully loaded with podcasts, as if Spotify could get any better. Find us in the podcast section within the Browse tab when you're using Spotify on mobile, or just search for The Watch in Spotify. And while you're there, click to follow us and have our new episodes delivered right into your Spotify library. Head to spotify.com slash podcasts for more. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Redbox. School is out for summer, and Redbox has the video games to keep you entertained. With over 40,000 locations nationwide, you can rent and return anywhere. And better yet, you will get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code WATCH. Five. That's watch and the number five. Swing by a box in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game is there when you get there, reserve it online at redbox.com games. The offer is valid through August 3rd, 2017. Subject to additional terms, charges apply for additional nights, payment card is required. Getting into video games has never been so easy. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRigger.com. Joining me in the studio, in 70mm, in IMAX, as it was meant to be filmed, it's Andy Greenwald! I look so big. We are part of The Ringer Podcast Network. Whoa. Yeah, that's my Masked Man Show voice. I forgot to shout out The Masked Man Show last on Monday. Yeah. And The Masked Man Show is the best wrestling podcast of all time. I think that's fair to say. So I'm going to say I, I love the Bass Man Show. Shout out to Shoemaker and uh, all the Ringer Podcast Network shows mm-hmm. produced by Zach Mack or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But um, extra special shouts to those produced by Zach Mack? Yeah. I mean, I like Zach. Okay. I miss Joe, but I like Zach. Uh, Andy- He's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just emailing with him. Everybody's still here. Andy, welcome to The Watch. Thanks, it's Thursday. Thanks for having me here on your podcast. Uh, you know- I am T minus, let me see my clock, four and a half hours from curtains up at Dunkirk. <laughs> You're so excited. We're going to talk about Dunkirk. We're going to talk about Glow, right? Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about a little bit about Twin Peaks, just a sec, because we have a special guest coming on Monday. I'm excited about that, so we'll have a Twin Peaksy show on Monday. I got to ask you something, though, um, before we get you into it. You seem a little bit worse for wear, my I, brother. I am. You know, I went to a, a live music concert last night, uh-huh. and it's been a minute. For your boy. Okay. Leaving the home. And concerts start too late. I forgot that. You what know? time did I? Uh, so who did you go see? I went to see Hazel English, who is a singer-songwriter who I love. I put her on the Baranski barbecue playlist. I'm shouting her out uh, as much as possible. And she was playing at the bootleg and took the stage at a at a... At a, a rowdy 10.30 p.m. What on time a weeknight. Did you, what, what time were wheels down for you? When did you get there? 8.50. Oh, that's a little early. mm yeah, yeah. yeah they I need, mis- they need I to have like the... a, a TSA for concerts for older patrons. Where it's just like you go in, you're like run right in there, yeah. perfect sight line, see the show, but still feel part of it, and then out and bounce. Yeah, yeah. L- listen, it was it was a really good show, and it was it was fun to go out. But I have a thing, and and I feel like I can say this because Hazel made a joke about this on stage herself. But she took the stage. Songs are great. Acoustics great. While she was playing, she was sipping from a. Not from a, uh, you know, go cup of, of liquor. Mm-hmm. Not from a long neck bottle of, uh, of a beer. Mm-hmm. But from a reusable blue water bottle, like camping Nalgene bottle. Okay. 
And at one point, someone was like, "What are you drinking?" And she was like, "Water." Okay, so it was so it was a cool show. I'm just saying, <laughs> I want to give her a note now, and I feel like it would be in the best interest of everyone. Like, you say it's gin. Yeah, but I, like, I, does I she make the kind this. of music that sounds like made, if it's made by someone who drinks gin out of say a water bottle? Say it's lean. You know what I mean? Say it's that purple drink. Yeah. Like, I, I want to ask you, as a, a fan of live music, like, if you saw someone... Have you met me? <laughs> never. <laughs> I was just trying to set you up in a way that would that would flatter the question. Yeah. But, like, if you went to a show from a band you like, and you're like, I'm, this is my night out. Here I am with, with the, the next generation. And then, you know, they were tuning, and they are like, excuse me for a second, and, like, leaned over and put up, a, you know, one of them, like, them fat bottles of kombucha. Mm-hmm. Would you be just? Would you be offended? That's not what I. I wanted a little more. Yeah, escapism. I mean, let me think of a way to 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 phrase this anecdote that I'm going to give you mm-hmm. uh, in a way that does not incriminate anyone, <laughs> given uh, the <laughs> state of our justice department. There is a famous band uh-huh. from the 1970s that were was on tour with several indie rock bands in like sort of the late 90s. So the band, it's an older band from the 70s on yeah, tour with younger bands. Supported by younger bands. Okay. And I heard from people who were sort of in the periphery mm-hmm. of those younger bands that uh, what this older band would do is finish their set. Yeah. They had one song that everybody expected them to play. Uh-huh. They would finish the set, go backstage. Uh, a helpful assistant had cut up multiple lines of cocaine for mm. them to do. They would do the cocaine, mm-hmm. come back out, do the last song. So that's sort of more in the line of what you're expecting. I don't... A commitment to both excellence First and... First of all, can I just do a side recommendation for a book called Storms, which is a book about Fleetwood Mac from the Rumors to Tusk era written yeah, by Lindsay's... Fleetwood Mac's then, not who I'm talking then about. Then girlfriend. Yes, no, I know. Yeah. But in that book, they talk about what Fleetwood Mac did on tour is that when they would take the stage, their roadies would put on the on the um, speakers behind them yeah. uh, a tray. And on the tray would be uh, like bottle caps from like Corona's each full of cocaine and they would like between songs just go pick up a bottle cap and just like you know get a little giddy up. Get, three. get a little yeah. giddy up yeah, no yeah. let me let me be clear i don't want these i don't want today's generation of musical talents to fall victim to the of scourge of drugs no, no. and the incredible albums that were produced because of the drugs <laughs> no listen i'm just saying it i i i i i feel like there's i just want more of the um pageantry that's all. I don't actually want her to be drinking straight liquor. It's a, it's an interesting. It's like, what do you want from rock stars? It's an interesting question. It's just because I'm at the show, and it's also it's because me. I'm like literally, I need to get out tonight. You know, this sure. Is a, and then you need to get but, back home. <laughs> but exactly. So just just two bottle caps for me, Governor. I'm not. Side note, mm-hmm. I did uh, meet Hazel after the show, and she said that you're the one with the podcast because oh. Baranskis of the world. Have been coming up to her after shows and saying they learned about We're her. We're responsible this for like one eighty eight hundredth of her streams online. Probably, I feel great about that. That's that made awesome, me happy. man. You're 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 always supporting young artists, and I, I, you did it for me. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. A, uh, a young man still in his thirties. Do you want to ask me any questions about how excited I am to see Dunkirk? Let's talk about Dunkirk. It's a big week um, on the <laughs> Ringer. Yeah. Don't make me do your job. Yeah. No, it's a big week on the Ringer. It's Christopher Nolan week. You're doing Nolan week. Yeah. I wrote. I wrote. And uh, you wrote about Inception. I did. And this movie, listen. What's your we, favorite Christopher Nolan movie before prestige. we go? Here? It's kind of like a very Hazel English answer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, hold on, let me take a swig from my own water bottle, which I carry <laughs> with me. You know, um, I was not super hype about this film. And you know what actually got me hype about this movie? You're not going to believe this. What? Jeff Wells. Are you serious? Hollywood I mean, Elsewhere? Hollywood Elsewhere. 
movie blogger Jeff Wells, who's quite a character. Uh-huh. Uh, but I also know that he, when it comes to, like, hyped things, he doesn't give a... A shit? No. Oh. Not at all. But then he flipped out over Dunkirk. Yeah. And was like, this is not just Christopher Nolan's best movie. This is a masterpiece. Wow. I can, I'm just even more excited than I was five seconds so ago. So where are you with this? Um, I'm just really... Uh, Thrilled. I, I think the reason why I'm so excited for this movie is not, and it's not to denigrate anything that came before it, um, like uh, Wonder Woman or Spider-Man or anything, but it's just been a summer of a lot of the same stuff for me, mm-hmm. I think. I've been, been very immersed in, like, we've been very immersed in uh, fantasy. And, it's just starting, man. And it's just started. <laughs> just one weekend. And, and you know, any anything that's rendered on screen is obviously going to be done so in a subjective and, and in, to some extent, fictional way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, what is really reality when you get onto screen? Can you tell I watched Inception this week? Wow, this podcast um, is. And I think that, uh, you know, he is one of these few filmmakers for as flawed as he is. He is one of the, the few filmmakers whose movies are event movies that you want to go see in the theater. That, uh, yeah. you know, he was he even did an interview recently about just kind of being like, what's the upside of doing working with Netflix? Because, like, I believe in the theater experience. And to me, the Netflix is basically an assault on that experience. It's it's saying that there's no yeah. point in going out to these movie theaters. And he's like, I make these movies that are supposed to be experienced in a certain way. Now, tonight in Los, in Los Angeles, Nolan apparently outfit the uh, Man's Chinese Theater with, like, the, the this is how you're supposed to Damn. see it jam. I am going to a regular seventy millimeter arc light. I'm not going to the dome. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm very excited. Uh, my I'm, fa- and, and you know I, I'm going to see it. Yeah, I'm going to see it either tomorrow. We'll or talk Monday. about it on Monday. We're talking about it on Monday. I I think that as I've become more excited about it, I realized I was going at this the wrong way because I definitely have been a little more down on Nolan recently because I blame him, which is not fair. For the, uh, I, I, I coined the term creeping Nolanism mm-hmm. in blockbusters, that everything had to be incredibly dark and complicated and convoluted. Um, that's not necessarily fair to blame him for it because no. he was, what even even the flaws of his Batman trilogy are way beyond in ambition and scope and in mastery of the form than most other films in that genre. But I realize I'm going about this backwards because I am not like, necessarily hype for war movies full stop there are people in the same way people love westerns or crime pictures some people love war movies um but what i i think that what what finally made me realize how why i should get excited for this is this is there are no there's no tricks in this you know what i mean like i i I admire the way he's always trying to like perfect jj abrams does this and not as well to a different degree but they're trying to come up with a beautiful trick and that's kind of why i like the prestige because it was a movie about a perfect trick Mm -hmm. itself so the meta-ness worked for me on that by all accounts, he just wanted to make this war picture. Right? That's why Inception is my favorite Nolan movie is the fact that it is itself, like, aside from being an astonishing kind of, like, entertainment mm-hmm. and, a, a, and a puzzle to figure out, it's also, like, a commentary on the act of movie making and the, the sort of the con of, of storytelling on screen. I, I think you're absolutely right. There, what is, there is no twist in Dunkirk. You know, there's no twist where we're going to find out this is actually, like, just a— Are, yeah. Like lost scene from Atonement. It are is, it are is. you going to stick around for the post credits teaser scene? tag? Yeah, the, like that sets up the Dunkirk expanded you. Yeah, are you psyched for that? Um, I do want to talk a little bit. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about Dunkirk because the role of history. Oh, I see what you're doing in television and film, Here and, it comes. and who gets to tell what stories and, and everything came up pretty big this week. Kind of a surprise, David Benioff and uh, D.B. Weiss's new project for yep. HBO is announced. And uh, one week after 
Game of Thrones debuts to record shattering record shattering ratings, uh, and is obviously still the biggest kid on the block. Um, HBO announced that they are going to be making a show called Confederacy. Confederate. Right? Confederate. Sorry, Confederate, and it, that it's a imagines a world in which the South successfully seceded from the United States, mm-hmm. and that there's been two civil wars and now there's going to be a third now there's going to be a third it's slavery is still institution Mm -hmm. and it was going to take a sort of panoramic view of all the different characters and everything else that that is going to be a part of that world and the response to this was mixed that's nice yeah that that's that's what it the response to this is what the room is doing around the dog in the gif where he's saying this is fine (laughs) yeah yeah, um, I mean, I can read a little bit of the description here. It's basically uh, well, the, the sort of the big one that jumped out was that it will follow a broad swath of characters on both sides of the Mason-Dixon demilitarized zone. Freedom fighters, slave hunters, politicians, abolitionists, journalists, the executives of a slaveholding conglomerate and the families of people in their thrall. Yeah, here, I, I have a bunch of opinions about this. My number one opinion at the start is we haven't seen the show. Mm -hmm. We haven't read these scripts. It is, I think, incredibly reactionary in a not healthy way for art or the industry or anything other than Twitter to condemn something before it even exists. That said, here's what I will condemn. HBO fucked this up. HBO exists in the world, our world. Mm -hmm. They have a Twitter account. They have people who work at that company who understand the political climate of our actual universe and the political climate of our internet universe. They should have known a lot better than to just dump this like this. It, it is incredibly tone deaf of them to just announce with great, great fanfare and this vanity. Really, basically. that great fanfare? I mean, they just put out a press release, no, right? No, but but basically, be like coming off the heels of this incredible thing. Here's this next incredible thing, and then just leave it there, unprepared to respond in any way, and also. Benioff and Weiss, and we've criticized them for this before, and I'm sure we will again, they they ca- they checked out of press. They don't need it anymore. And after the response to the, the Sansa scene two years ago, they stopped doing it, except for except with James Hibbert at Entertainment Weekly. They refuse all press from that point on. So they're not going to comment either way, which is their right. Mm-hmm. But this is a situation that could have been avoided. Now, in terms of um, one other thing, criticism to rebut, Buried, not buried in the press release, fully present in the press release is that um, Malcolm and Nichelle Spellman are also executive producers of the show. They're an African-American couple who are incredibly accomplished in TV, um, fantastic creators and writers in their own right, and probably have a lot to say about the criticism of this and who gets to tell what story themselves. No one is commenting because, again, the whole system is not they were not prepared to talk about something that doesn't exist yet. I mean, they meaning all the creators. Yeah. But this is not Benioff and Weiss stroking their chins being like, well, if we can do ice zombies, we can do slaves. Um, Sure. Okay. So all that said, right, that's all the prelude to say I also would have deep reservations about making this project, um, mainly because I'm frustrated by alternate timeline, dystopia things, um, Man in the High Castle. Our world is pretty effed up Mm -hmm. right now in a lot of ways and i understand that it is difficult to find a big sweeping you can sell it on the poster genre hook for 2017 but these projects 
really tend to wallow in the appalling nature of other worlds in the same way that they do in Westeros, almost as if to shine a light on how we don't have those problems and how much better we have it, if that makes sense. I do. Um, I do understand. I, I think that's, I don't want to use the word problematic, but that's worrisome, mainly because I think there are many, uh, in my mind, there are better stories to tell. And I say that, repeat. I want to repeat myself. We don't know the story they're going to tell. So I don't want to ca- pass judgment on it. I would just say that as a fan and consumer of TV, just point blank, this doesn't excite me, you know, let alone whether it offends me or not. Um, obviously, really ambitious creatively, uh, an ambitious project. Mm-hmm. Uh, there had been talk about these guys doing Confederate as a um, as a feature and that they decided that the best way to, to sort of tell this story would be through HBO and through a long-form television series. And, you know, I think that there was initially a lot of I, I mean, a couple of people on Slack yesterday were like, "Man, I wish, wish they were doing City of Thieves." Like, I wish they were doing like they, it was like a lot of like I wish and retro retro. For, ret- for, for people who don't know, City of Thieves is Benioff's novel. It's really good, and he it's about the siege of of of, of St. Petersburg. It's yeah, it's a World War II story about a young guy who has to steal things to stay alive, basically um, steal something for the the the, the German army and. The, when back when they did press, when I had those guys on a podcast in 2012, Benioff told me that he's basically pocketed the rights to the book for himself. So one day he'll direct it. Okay. So I, I mean, I, it's it's tough. I think I get distracted by two things. One is that um, HBO, which obviously has a relationship with this company, and obviously like we've worked with before, so there's there's that to consider. Uh, they announce a lot of stuff that never gets made. I would be surprised if they announced a David Benioff and Dan right. Weiss thing that, that did not get made, but they've done it with Milch. They've, I think, done it with other people. I mean, like, pretty big people within the realm of HBO have had stuff announced. Things that, can fall apart very yeah, easily. Yeah, I mean, they had the corrections. They had Dave Milch's Murdoch's show Money, that yeah. became, that went away, but now Adam McKay is doing something that seems like a more comic version of a similar storyline. There's lots of things that are always going on over there, and, and they don't necessarily make everything that they announce. I, I am it's a shame that since like what you outlined, like that they don't they don't really do their own press, they don't really do a lot of press, that they would kind of push this out on the, the plank to kind of get this reaction without any sort of follow-up. Ideally, what you would probably want is a more fleshed out mm-hmm. presentation than a press release that's screenshotted and put up on Twitter or whatever. You'd wanna have footage. You'd mm-hmm. wanna have a storyline, you'd wanna have something that didn't say uh, slave hunters, you know, and like, but, and have people just be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But also, let's about? just think about how we want to spend our entertainment time in 2018 or whatever. And you know, we we had a great time last week joking about the Star Wars hotel and the Westworld experience. But one thing that was pretty serious—not serious, but that was meant sincerely—that you said there, which is when you watch westerns, you didn't want to go. Did they didn't make you want to go rape people like that? That the, yeah, the sex I, tourism I, of I it was a little specify though that like. I mean, when I do watch Westerns, it's also not to watch people do community gardening. Fair. Yeah. So, But what I, my point is you have to think about it in the context of the network. And, and what HBO is giving us with Westworld is just a sort of wallowing in um, in a different era where different things were possible or mm-hmm. permitted, right? Where they can sort of have it both ways. They can comment on uh, on on feminism or the slow march of feminism, but then they can also hire attractive actresses to be hookers because they're robots and they take their tops off because that's part of the story. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in Game of Thrones, you know, there is enormous amount of nudity and sexual violence because this is the world 
you know, that again, it's a fantasy world, but it's, you know, more, it's kind of medieval, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can wallow in that. And so, again, with what you, you, when you think about it in total, which I think a lot of networks don't do, they have so many projects in development. They're also investing in creators who choose their own passion projects, and they just kind of got to juggle it and see what works in terms of a lineup. But if you think about those shows that you have in the drama space, and then you're like, we still want to make the biggest, noisiest shows on TV that get the most attention. And then now we're also going to, they're going to have an quote unquote excuse or opportunity to indulge in showing slavery in a modern age. It's like, I'm not saying these things don't deserve to be seen. I'm just saying I wish that the gatekeepers at the highest level of television would think about other visions to show us. Not just happy visions. I'm not saying that. But think about what you can do with budgets. Think about what you can do with transporting us to other worlds. These things are very familiar to us. But, you know, look, Alan Sepinwall, who's, who, whose reaction to this on Twitter was incredibly, of course, because it was Alan, was very measured, I think, and very appropriate, was like if you had told me that, that, that a network would make a basically a caper show on some level about the Underground Railroad, uh, I would have scoffed. But Underground on WGN America was actually an interesting and compelling and creative show mm-hmm. and respectful show. So anything's possible. But I think that the argument can be divided into, are we judging this one particular project? I don't think that's necessarily fair. But are we judging the television as a whole and what we get to see right now and how those decisions are getting made, then it becomes a little more um, ripe for conversation. Yeah. And we should probably cap it there because anything beyond that would really be probably unfair speculation at a certain point. But I do. Let's remember, those guys are really good at making TV. And we we actually are pretty big fans of theirs outside of Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I, I, 25th Hour is one of our was one of the only movies that made both of our 25. Oh, you didn't have it on there? No, but I, that but I'm not I'm not saying it because I didn't like it. Oh, me and Sean had that. Yeah. Sorry. You, we were really big fans of this these guys outside of even Game of Thrones. I mean, like I 25th Hour is one of my favorite movies of the century. Uh, Amanda Peet is the greatest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh so it's it's I think that they definitely have a lot of leeway and I I I want to say like I I I I kind of definitely I I agree with you in the sense that it, it's strange. I think one thing that that popped up is this idea that you guys have a blank check and a blank, you, you could do anything yeah, probably, and can. people would be like, sure, whatever you guys want to do. This is their moment. This yeah. next project off of the most successful, biggest show in television history, you can do anything you want. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that's what some people were disappointed by. I, the flip side, and I would imagine they would say this, although they won't, <laughs> you know, until it's time to do press for this in 18 months or two years or whatever it is, is they taking on Game of Thrones as just two guys, remember, with no TV experience mm-hmm. in their 30s and then s- successfully and steadily running this. I mean, that's something that I, I, I feel we still don't talk enough about. It is, you, you, you know, we, you look at the, what happens with The Walking Dead and, oh, yeah. you know, and just the, the, the difficulty of making that show and the number of showrunners it's gone through. And then we've had a horrific, it was a horrific accident and death. That's, no one, that's not necessarily someone's fault, but the production does seem incredibly stressful and difficult on that show mm-hmm. uh, in a number of ways. We don't hear any of those stories um, about Game of Thrones. Now, maybe that's because you and I don't speak Serbo-Croatian. That's very possible. <laughs> yeah. But these guys stepped up and they make incredible, they, they, they're they incredibly good writers, they're incredibly good uh, storytellers, and they've pulled this thing off. So I think it would be wrong to bet against them. Um, but I can understand why eyebrows are raised. Yeah, I think that there are issues of representation in television. And when you see a show get announced that prop proposes, well, what if African-Americans were still slaves? That's that's not like something that draws a lot of like hosannas. And that's just that's just this fact of the matter. 
No, and I and I do it. But this is this is the sort of equivalency thing that this this works. This flatters 140 characters, and I don't think it works that well in just saying it into a microphone. But I, I, I would like to have a show. If you want to, make, if if this show is on some level about white supremacy in America, mm-hmm. let's make a show about. You white, just turn the camera on. I'm yeah. just saying, like, let's make yeah. a show about white supremacy yeah. in America. I know. You know what I mean? Let, let's actually do it. Let's not put on these other layers of a fictional this and a company. And what would this look like? And okay. What about what's happening? You know, yeah, I, exactly. I know that's a hard sell, but I, but I think it's worth saying into a microphone because if you know, if if literally every we, show we can don't be need un- a dystopian hook for this. No, we're in one, man. Yeah, like that's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's actually not cool but <laughs> that we're in one. But you know, if if no show is ever canceled and everything is coming back and everything is getting greenlit, and by the way, here comes Apple, who is just about to inflate the bubble ten times bigger. Do it, man. Make something. Go for it. Yeah, rip something from the headlines. No Dick Wolf. You know what I mean. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back to talk about Glow. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Insecure Season 2. Creator and star Issa Rae is back with a brand new season of her deeply relatable series about friends, love, and Los Angeles. I love my friend Andy from Los Angeles. This is our show. Insecure. It's on HBO. Set in Inglewood, Season 2 of Insecure finds Issa... Dealing with the repercussions of her infidelity and the fallout of her breakup with long-term boyfriend Lawrence. Despite her attempts to embrace her newfound singledom and maintain a positive facade, Issa secretly hopes that she will be able to win him back. Meanwhile, Lawrence is slowly getting back on his feet and while still conflicted about his feelings for Issa, begins to move forward without her. And Issa's best friend Molly faces her own set of uncharted waters as she reshifts focus to herself, puts men on the back burner, and seeks help from a therapist. Not to mention, life of work gets pretty messy when she's faced with wage inequality at the boys club that is her firm. This summer, Insecure isn't holding back and life is hella out there. Watch the premiere of Insecure Season 2, July 23rd at 10.30 p.m. on HBO! Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by the big homies at Hotel Tonight that hotel life if you are like me and you are not so great at planning ahead i've got good news for you there is an awesome app called hotel tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute it sounds counterintuitive greenwald but unlike flights hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute and hotel tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms allowing them to pass those deals along to you these are not last resort places They are actually very cool, top-rated hotels that you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally getting to go on that trip that you've been waiting to take for a while. Just used Hotel Tonight, uh, like a week ago, I guess today, when I booked a trip to go to Laguna Beach to get a little bit of a staycation. I guess in LA, everything is a staycation. Lagoon Squad. Just even crossing La Brea is a staycation. Because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can still book up to a week in advance. So I I had plenty of time to do that. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. All right, Greenwald, we are back. Uh, Before we get into Glow, what do you think of Peaks this week? Let's talk Peaks. Okay. We haven't talked Peaks in a minute. Um... I still think that watching Twin Peaks in 2017 is a singular experience that for me is full of nothing but joy and wonder. Okay. I love it so, so deeply and profoundly. It fills me with happiness. I, you know, we're doing this Thrones show. People know about this. And um, 
I rush home to watch Twin Peaks because I can't live in a world where I haven't seen a new episode. Right. I'm heartbroken that there are only like eight left, even though that's still a pretty good number. Yeah. Um, and I'm blown away by it. That said, I am appreciating, because I waited 25 years for this and because I do think that this is an accomplishment, an artistic achievement like nothing else, I'm enjoying every second. If I am, if I were reviewing it week to week, I would say that the last two weeks have been tougher hangs. Yes. Um, because of the way that he broke the story, literally broke it into pieces and changed it up. And, you know, and, and we have a guest coming in um, on Monday who's on the show. And we were trying to time his arrival with an episode that maybe flattered his— Should we say who it is? Well, yeah, Matthew Lillard is coming on. We're very excited. Just people think it's like Kyle McLaughlin. No, uh, although yeah. hopefully we can get him too. Yeah. Because he's a veteran of the AG podcast. I know, man. Um, and a very nice guy. But, um, yeah, Lillard is coming on, and we're so excited to talk to him. But we were we were going back and forth for a while with him because, you know, do you want to come on after a, a big episode? He has no idea. That was kind of what I wanted to bring up. Yeah, he doesn't uh, know when he's on the show next. He might not even be on this Sunday's episode. Your mileage may vary on the Dougie plot line in this show. Give and it to me. I drink it. My, my mileage may have ran out at the last rest stop. At, 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 at Bone City. But one thing that you've seen that you see mentioned over and over again in every interview with the uh, actor mm-hmm. actors who have been on the show is basically like they have no idea what's going on they're like i showed up like i just said yes immediately because it was david lynch and it was twin peaks and i showed up on the set and i was allowed to read the script off of like an e-reader or something yeah. like that and then i went and did the scenes and i have no idea what episode they're in or what point of the story they're in pretty much i'm sure that's different from mclaughlin or different only mclaughlin saw the whole thing um and I felt like this episode, this past one, was the first time where I could see that showing a little bit mm-hmm. in the scenes with, like, Sizemore and Belushi, where I'm like, <laughs> do these guys know, like... Yeah, but this Like, week- Sizemore looked like... I Sizemore looked like he was reading off cue, cue cards. Maybe he wasn't, but he was definitely, like... The, the whole thing... Yeah. But it like, Okay, but then there, this is actually kind of interesting that you're t- talking like this, because this is sort of what I was saying about Inception in my piece, which uh-huh. was that... Inception in a vacuum, you watch it and you're like, that's obviously a dream. Like, this entire movie is a dream sequence. The only reason you wouldn't think that is because Christopher Nolan movies make about as much sense as Inception does. Mm -hmm. If this was not a David Lynch show Mm -hmm. and you saw a performance like the one Mm -hmm. where it's like, candy, 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 Oh my God, that candy thing was so good. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. Why is it good? It's so funny. I find it so funny. Because it goes on for like, so, it's like the Austin Powers thing where Will Ferrell's yeah. in the hole and he's like, I'm still dying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and they play the beat out farther. Yeah. I mean, the thing about David Lynch is if you go out, if you if you take a few steps out on that plank, mm-hmm. you are all the way out on it. You're either on the plank or you're back cowering at home for safety. Right. Everything that he does is completely flowing out of him, transcendental meditation, whatever you want to call it, from a very pure creative state. Everything is connected. So if you like, I, I just think it is almost, it's not, I don't mean to say it's illegitimate to have opinions about something, but I feel like if you, it, it does make sense to me when people are like, I like this part of his oeuvre, or I like this part of this it movie. Does but does It doesn't make sense to me to okay. say, to cherry pick parts because they're all coming from the same place. Gotcha. What you get when we see his films, and I, I don't know if he's ever, if there's anyone else to compare him to, it is like the tap opens, this pours out, and then the tap closes. And for me, it's just, you know, it's it's artistically just invigorating and exciting and so weird and so funny, um, but also so dark mm-hmm. and so disturbing. And what's been happening with the show for me recently is, you know, I, I've said this before, that the first, the original Twin Peaks was what made me a fan 
of almost of anything in a yeah, way, in the course. way of interacting with things, but certainly of a fan of television and of we joke now about expanded universes, but I was so deep in the rabbit hole yeah. for Twin Peaks and yeah. what things meant and the connections and realizing that all of these 10 episodes that for some people are like, oh, this is just he's just delaying or he's just showing off. No, he's making Twin Peaks, guys like Cooper's coming back. The whole thing with the Black Lodge and Laura Palmer and what it meant, like, that's the... I don't think we've talked about it in a couple weeks. I mean, I Every that. week I'm, like, absolutely blown away when I go... It's, I, and I, I'm not like you. I have to go back and read up a lot yeah. of it a little bit. But the amount of things that are in this show that are, like, were casually mentioned in season yes. two or something it's, like it's that... Not, and it's, no, it's not just season two. It's that the canon is really the movie. Yeah. And not just the movie. It's the scenes that were cut from the movie. That you can now see on – there was a box set and they're mostly on YouTube now. So the David Bowie stuff – Bowie was supposed to be in the show too, but he, he passed away. Um, but the character has been mentioned, Philip Jeffries, a bunch of times. Like the, the – you know, there's a there's a picture of Bowie at one episode. Where they're like, we've seen Philip yeah. Jeffries in Argentina. Yeah. So the, in the cut of Fire Walk With Me, the movie um, – the David Bowie character sort of shows up suddenly in the FBI office mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. And it vanishes, right? Gives a monologue that is intercut with scenes of Bob and the little man from another place and cream corn, and it's very surreal and weird, and then he vanishes. In the original cut, which you can see on YouTube, you see him checking into a hotel in Buenos Aires, and then you see him appear in the FBI office, and he gives a much longer talk, not intercut with that scene. Mm-hmm. And then he teleports back to Buenos Aires with a giant like burned like he it, it like ignites the wall behind him in the hotel and the bellhop shits himself <laughs> <laughs> like that's real you know and, but here's my, but I say it's real in that Lynch is baking making a tv show where all that was shown where the scene where yeah. Heather Graham's character is brought into the hospital and they take the ring off and the ring matters like he's just still playing in this pool and I love that I love that we are having this weird story about who's Dougie and Everything all over the place happening at once, but he's making Twin Peaks. We're getting there. We're getting to the place that he wanted to take us. This is still that. Yeah. And I think that people have – I think they're, they're in some some factions of the fandom or at least the people still watching, they've just sort of – and maybe this is actually kind of brilliant now that I'm saying it out loud. They've taken their hands off the wheel. You know, They're not watching this to be like, well, what happened to Audrey Horn? Are we going to find out or not? Now they're like, well, now I'm just watching this weird show about Dougie and then sometimes it jumps to – you know, it jumps to Twin Peaks or it jumps to New York or it jumps to wherever the hell we're Richard going next. Or be, yeah, right. Um, and, and they've sort of forgotten that they initially were watching it to find out what happened to these characters or the story of the world. But this is still, it's still there. We're still getting there. I mean, there was a whole thing about Major Briggs, you know, and Don S. Davis, who the actor who died, but he was, you know, lovingly basically this tribute was paid to him. He's brought back into the show and there was the scene with Bobby and his father. That's all threads from the first yeah. thing. So it's it's the rare project that I think is working completely on its own um, as a work of just amazing art. But it it is continuing the story. I'm, I'm just hype. We don't know. When have we never not known to this degree of what's going to happen on our screen next week? Oh, I mean, I'm not, yeah, the, the misdirection or like the, the sense of, of wonder of the show is still there. I was just saying that like the actual in the moment watching of it sometimes is a little bit of a chore for me. But I also was never like, I wasn't necessarily like tattoo this on my face. Like, but also, I, I, I like the show quite a bit. What do you think about the, the way that he sort of created a new style of show, which is sort of like Saturday Night Live for shoegaze, where you know there's at, like a musical break there's going to be a band performance yeah. with five minutes left and yeah, like Hudson Mohawk or I also Ovoa just Simone really like directors up. we've talked about this before but I really like directors who are like this is the shit I like 
Yeah. So sometimes I like like 50s sci-fi like horror, and sometimes I like Douglas Sirk melodrama yeah. that looks like it's shot as a as a soap opera, and sometimes I like music, and I'll just put the bands that I like or that my son likes in this show. I also got to say, McLaughlin is just incredible. Yeah. The three performances that he's given on the show is three characters. I mean, the real Dougie was a very brief performance, but it's pretty wild that he's he could he can be that that dead. Basically, I also just can't believe on. how much Naomi Watts there is. <laughs> Naomi Watts is so good. Um, you know, just side note: for people who are going to Comic Con, we're not. That's the end of the note. No, uh, tomorrow Friday there is a Twin Peaks panel in Hall H, and and friend of the pod Damon Lindelof is is uh, is he moderating? moderating it? That's awesome. And it's it's Kyle and it's Naomi Watts and it's Dana Ashbrook and and uh, uh, Kimmy Robertson who plays Lucy, and you know when I spoke to Damon about it, like. He doesn't know what they're going to talk about because they're not allowed to talk about the show, basically. Right, right. But they you can know? talk about the uh, episodes leading up to it, right? Yeah, but it's it, like, what could that even be? Yeah, right. It, it's just it's just a wonderful thing, and and I think we should just treasure it. It's not. I I, I hope Showtime is happy with it. I think I'm sure they made peace with it a long time ago. It doesn't really matter. They're not <laughs> right. I know they're not, but it's not like I think they thought to some level they might when this thing came together that they would own the summer. Do you think that the way that I mean I would direct them to what's on HBO on Sunday nights. But yeah. Well, that's why it premiered in June and it was supposed to be nine episodes and yeah. it's 18. Uh, do you think that they hoped that they had like making a murderer on their hands or something? Or no, I, I think that they were operating under the new television economy, right? Which is if something was even a quasi-phenomenon at one point in history, the intensity of that fandom will translate to the intensity of television coverage today, mm-hmm. particularly of television shows that are not that popular. In the scheme of things, mm-hmm. right? Like the shows that we talk about, the shows that, that Vulture recaps, um, in this grand scheme of things, few of them are popular. Game of Thrones is popular. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Transparent is adored and respected, but it's not exactly popular. Right. Um, so I think they thought that if they if they got the gang back together, especially for what was initially supposed to be just a relatively short miniseries, that it would get all the attention, you know, or, or a lot of the attention. And it would also, and, and I think the, the thing that they have accomplished is that it they hung a shingle outside of Showtime saying we're open for business for something more interesting than Ray Donovan. Sure. Even though they run those ads that I are like, it. if you like weird shit, if you get like ready for Leo. <laughs> get ready for Ray. All right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up by talking a little bit about Glow. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to have, you're going to have actually, I'm not going to, I'm not going to roll with you on this one, but this is, uh, the showrunners are going to come in and talk to you uh in a couple weeks. Yeah, very excited but to talk But we wanted to, to just put a bow on it because uh, we both finished watching the first season. And, um, you know, for as much as Twin Peaks is so unfamiliar, I found the experience of watching Glow, and I think we've mentioned this before, just very, 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 very comforting mm-hmm. because it's a show that, uh, and it's very rare now for shows to know what they are when they start and to have their voice perfectly defined at the beginning and even though there's off episodes in this series and i think that um there's a degree to which um it kind of has that silicon valley thing where there's like nothing's ever that wrong like or like they figure out how to get past an obstacle or a hurdle or whatever like it like they they figure out how to to get back to a sunnier place Mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of dark stuff that happens in it i i just so so impressed by the the construction of it um yeah, I don't really have a criticism of it. Like, do we need a season two of Glow? Like, I don't. I mean, like, yes. sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is show is built to. No, be... No, I mean, like, do we need it universally? Like, yes, I guess, yeah, right. Well, 
I'll, I'll flip it back to you. Like, do you think, I, you know, I'll, I'll repeat what I said a few weeks ago. I find this show completely charming. I loved it. I, I spaced it out because I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to have more episodes to watch. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there are two threads of uh, contemporary TV that are very present in the show. One is um, we are living, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're still in a golden age of content, to be honest. I mean, that's just a gross sentence to begin with. But we are in a golden age of television acting. Mm-hmm. Um, Alison Brie, Betty Gilpin, and Mark fucking Marin on the show, individually and then together as an ensemble when they have scenes in whatever pairings that they uh-huh. have, are outstanding. I mean, Alison Brie has always gotten credit for being good, and she's always been good. I don't think she's getting enough credit for her performance in this because of what she has to do and be and the way she can switch between the broadness of being this Russian you know, Russian flamboyant heel, and then also being the kind of mousy, uh, you know, ripply haircutted, uh, complicated, emotionally complicated person who did a terrible thing and then has to live with it and also be our heroine kind of. It's really amazing. It reminded me of the of the trio at the heart of Preacher, a show, another show that we think is up and down and doesn't really get mentioned in the conversation of the most important or most great yeah, right. shows on TV, but. Anytime any of those three actors are on the screen, we're like, "This, what are we? How amazing we get to have this!" Um, the other thing that I would say is, I'm, and I want to turn this over to you as well. You said, "Do we need a second season of it?" One of the I, sm- that was kind of like no, a, no, but I mean, it. like, kind of concern trolling. Like, I don't really no, but I, yeah. but I, I think that's an interesting question to ask because first seasons can be difficult, mm-hmm. but they can also just melt like butter like this one they were this was so well made i'm going to talk to to carly and liz about this they they got it you know they knew when to introduce the characters how to play the ensemble how to immediately make us feel at home with them in their world we understood the stakes to your point we felt very comfortable early on because we knew the bottom wasn't going to completely fall out yeah which left room for them for more interesting smaller things to happen on a more consistent basis between the characters but they definitely made some choices to slow pitch the season so it ends with a wrestling match, which the first, the debut. Uh-huh. Um, I guess the question is, or the challenge, is to find something as artfully constructed and as compelling for future seasons. Because how do you do it again? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, always the case. But They have the, the built-in luxury of constructing this movie. Uh, movie. Sorry, this show. But that's interesting you said movie. Of constructing this show... You can always go to the sports cliches because you have a sport at the heart of it. So there's mm-hmm. plenty of things that, you know, the way that they they made this first season was very much in the tradition of, you know, like the same way you would make a play. You, you show people performing, getting their roles ready mm-hmm. and getting the sets ready and getting their production ready. And there's hiccups and people have drug problems and people find out that they're somebody's father. And then you kind of go through and... Those are the same people, by the way. Yeah. You're, just, you're only talking about one of the characters. Yeah. And then you have the big night, you know, and mm-hmm. we get to the big night and... I think that I'm not actually well versed enough on, in the gorgeous ladies of wrestling history to know what kind of comes next. Do you remember watching it ever? I remember. I, I remember, remember being it. on. I don't yeah. remember watching it. Well, I never watched. Re- I didn't like wrestling, and one yeah. of the reasons I like the show so much is that it takes the time to educate you and help you find a way into wrestling, which is because the people who made it didn't. Have yeah, because and that's actually they use uh, they use Betty Gilpin's character yeah. as a really good sort of foil, like a way to in to be like, this is stupid, this is stupid, wait, I get it. Yeah, and then yeah. loving it. Yeah. I, I think that's really well done. Um, yeah, I, I think that there were a couple, there were, as you said, I mean, this is this is where we are with it. There are shows that you fall in love with, mm-hmm. and then when, you, when you're just, when you're on board, you are on board. And when you're on board with something, 
small misfires or miscalculations or things where clearly they were sort of they weren't they weren't completely committed yet. Um, you don't mind. You're like I just I'm here. I, I'm here already. I love it. And that relationship with the show, just immediately being on board, I think, is an incredible currency in today's television sure. world because there there are too many shows. And you know, honestly, if you're not fully on board after one or two, especially of an hour, glow luckily is a half hour, you're out and you're not coming back. So for this show. Yeah, the end, like some of the stuff at the very, very end of the season, I didn't I didn't really understand why um, uh, Betty Gilpin's character was leaving. And then I guess it's revealed that it was a plan, you know, it was but that seemed overly busy. And I wasn't really clear on why that was happening. Right. Um, but it doesn't you know, it, it's fine. It's fine. It, it doesn't matter because, it, it, you know, there are the two party scenes. There's the um, there's the, the robot party scene at the beginning and there's like the fundraiser at Bash's mom's house. Yeah. Chris Lowell, by the way, also great. Just yeah. well cast up and down the board. Um, Elizabeth Perkins. Yeah, so so good. Just ready to show up and, you know, the scene when Chris Lowell puts on the glitter over his eyes because it's all he's ever wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great scene. Um, yeah, I didn't, like, there are moments in both those party scenes where I'm like, really? This seems very, very broad. Yeah. But at the same time, those episodes have Marin going up to the, the jazz band <laughs> and saying, do you have any blow? Because I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's a it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So I they haven't announced the second season. I have no doubt. That I'm sure they don't have one because there should there should be more show. Honestly, there should be more shows like this and less shows like Confederate. So you announced you, anyway. You watched Glow. I did. And you watched it in two bricks. Three. Three. Yeah. yeah. And then is that typically how your like Netflix consumption has been going these days? Because um, I was talking about this the other day with House of Cards and how I was like. I know that if I, like my wife and I were kind of like knocking out like one, one or two a night. Yeah. And I was like, if we stop now, like, and the shit just went down, but we were both just kind of like, eh, you want to watch something else? But I was like, if we stop now, it's going to be like three months and then I'm going to be like, I can't remember what happened. Yeah. We are in a different boat because, so, you know, TV, TV watching in general is at a huge premium because we got, we got the baby. So we're like too tired to watch anything. Your baby's like, Narco. My baby's waiting for Narcos. <laughs> I did send you a picture where the baby looked weirdly like Wagner Mora yeah. as, yeah. as Pablo Escobar. And she was like, finally, we moved past Escobar. Yeah, I shouldn't have put that sweater on her in that way. <laughs> um, but uh, so so I, I, I knew we were going to talk about Glow, and it seemed interesting. I'd read good reviews. So I watched the first two uh, when my wife was asleep, and I loved it. And then the next night, I was going to watch the third and it was one of those, I'm going to watch this. I, I, I don't think I have time to watch the first two again. Will you join me? And then that was the episode that I talked about where we it ended and she was like, this is a really good show. Yeah. I was like, thank you. But that was a tricky bridge to cross, the willing to jump in late and go back on her own to watch the other two. But then I got the golden ticket because when your wife is into the show or your, your spouse, your significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, then you have a plan and then it's fun. Because there are so many other shows, like like Preacher, for example, where it's like, <laughs> like me, like crouch at the end she of the needs bed. She to be on, under like on an uh, iPad. The Inception chemist sedation for you to watch Preacher. <laughs> yeah, I have to make sure that her breath is rising and falling yeah. in equal measure with Ken Watanabe Somebody's in order to watch it. Driving like intestines down a Texas highway. The thing yeah. is, Netflix has to have some metric for that. Like, I guess they can't unless they're doing like full facial scanning through our Samsung smart TVs. Yeah, right. But I, I do wonder, like. It's built so that everyone can watch their own thing. You can watch it on your phone, your iPad, whatever. Some people watch it on your TV. 
but it's so much easier if you're watching the same thing together. Sure. And I and I know that I'm not just speaking for my household when there are great debates. Everyone should I mean, I think all healthy relationships, people should have their own shows. And you should not try to force one show on the other. But so much better when you can both watch something. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that I'm much more, frankly, like, feel free. Go knock that out. Yeah. Whereas like if we have a show together, it has to run through us as a couple. Oh, and right. And if I have a show Scheduling that I conflicts. like, but I'm like, you know, I haven't seen you all day and I'm not going to see you say like some night this weekend, yeah. but tonight I'm going to watch, uh, you know, Dominic Cooper rip a guy's heart out. Right. It's it's like not the best way to spend your time together with your the love of your life. Well, right. The other night, I I, I think it was after after our dress rehearsal for Thrones last week, I came home and I was like, well, it, it, I, we finished at like eight, so the sun was going down, but I figured I had another... Maybe a good 90 minutes left in me, and I got home. My wife's fired up, get me Roger Stone. You know? And I'm like, I respect this. Yeah. This is probably interesting. But I can't see these people on my TV tonight. Yeah. I just can't do this. So you're the complicated one. I, well, I think longtime listeners of the podcast know that. <laughs> Let's end on that. Uh, Andy, Monday, Matthew Lillard. Well, wait, Did Sunday. we slow pitch that? We Sun- kinda, I feel like we, can, we should have put that at the top and just wait. been like, Matthew Lillard. Sunday night. Yeah, right. Talk to Thrones. Talk to Thrones. On Twitter. It's very confusing, we know. But Talk the Thrones we'll will be on stuff. Twitter. Just go to the, uh, it'll, we'll tweet out the link, or you can go to the Ringer's Twitter account, twitter.com slash ringer, or me or Andy's Twitter account. We'll all have the links there. As soon as that is over, mm-hmm. after, the, you know, the, we go on after the East Coast showing Game of Thrones, at the end of our 45 to an hour long stream, there will be a new link. I know That's the, the thing. world's not perfect. The, we'll the... then tweet out that link. Anytime after, say... Nine o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, West Coast. Anytime after like say ten mm-hmm. or mid to ten or eleven on the East Coast, just just look at Twitter, find the stream. You can watch it I, there. I know some of you guys want a podcast. Or some of you guys wish it was. It's it's all good. It's right there. You can watch it. The I, watch I, goes on Monday. Binge mode goes on Wednesday. Also, the other thing about the Twitter thing that some people were asking me about because the live stream starts. And we, you know, before we do, yeah. That when they when you watch it back, it might be like two minutes. Yeah, of just fast forward two minutes. You can do it, guys. Yeah, some of you guys are like, I did just like it's not a self driving car. It's just two minutes. <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> it's pretty easy. So Monday, <laughs> we will. We, Monday we'll talk a little Thrones again. But we've got Matthew Lillard. I'm yeah, so man. excited. I'm fucking pumped for Matthew. Lillard. I have so many questions about the bridge yeah. seasons one and two. Yeah, and we'll talk and Twin scream. Peaks. Yeah, and scream and uh, Scooby Doo. He's great, man. He's been so great about doing this. I'm so excited to have him come in. Um, and then we have other guests coming. But Lots we... of guests coming, but we probably shouldn't tip our hand because we got a lot of Hollywood's guests. a fickle place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Andy, until then, it's been a pleasure as always. Great job. Today's episode of The Watch is, as always, brought to you by Redbox. School is out for summer, and Redbox has the video games to keep you entertained. With over 40,000 locations nationwide, you can rent and return anywhere. But better yet, you will get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code WATCH5. That is W-A-T-C-H and then the number five. Swing by a box in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game you want is there when you arrive, reserve it online at redbox.com games. The offer is valid through August 3rd, 2017. Subject to additional terms, charges apply for additional nights, payment card is required. Getting into video games has never been so easy. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by the purveyors of fine domiciles, Hotel Tonight. 
So things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes, so why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find some seriously amazing deals now. 